Today in Understanding Immigration, Merit-Based Immigration. If you're talking about just keeping the numbers the exact same at about a million a year, how can you seriously argue that it's more beneficial to the United States to have two thirds of that every year be based off of blood relation instead of your skills and what you can bring to the US. I mean, it really gives an immigrant an opportunity to flourish in several different categories. And it's not just limited to one unique skill set that you have to bring to the US. There's a lot of different ways and you can earn the points in a merit-based immigration system. Between 35 and 45% of all new migrants of any kind to the United States come from three countries. Coming to you from Washington, D.C., you are now listening to FAIR's Understanding Immigration Podcast. Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of FAIR's Understanding Immigration Podcast. This is Preston Hennikins with our lobbying department. I'm joined by our research director, Spencer Raley, and Matthew Tregesser from our media team. Today, we're going to be discussing a term that many of our listeners have probably heard before, merit-based immigration. We're going to go over a couple of concepts today. What exactly entails a merit-based immigration system? Do other countries use this model? And what would a merit-based system look like in the United States? Uh, before we address that, we're going to address a piece of uh, recent immigration news, which is that immigration was finally addressed at the final presidential debate. Uh, Joe Biden and Donald Trump sparred over immigration briefly after ignoring the topic for most of the campaign and in all of the other debates, uh, including the vice presidential debate. So, guys, what do we think about the final debate and what are your takeaways from the immigration back and forth that the candidates had? Well, it, it was really great to see uh, NBC debate moderator Kristen Welker finally bring up an immigration related question um, if you guys recall earlier in the week, it was reported that that the debate wouldn't feature any immigration related questions. So it was definitely surprising to see it. But, you know, I'm, I'm really happy that it was asked. And, you know, this question enabled both campaigns to reveal their stances on the immigration issue more. And obviously, uh, Biden's pledge to grant an amnesty to 11 million illegal aliens in this country was uh, something very startling. Uh, it wasn't unexpected, but, you know, it goes to show you the kind of priorities his administration uh, want to pursue. Um, I think another startling aspect of it was when Biden kind of spewed this fake narrative that President Trump was the sole reason why 545 kids at the southern border are still not reunited with their parents. And, you know, this can be completely debunked. Um, the vast majority of these children who are still re not reunited with their parents are not reunited because their parents willingly left them at the southern border in order for their child to obtain a much better life in the United States. And in fact, according to DHS, they said out of the parents of 485 children who they've been able to contact, they've yet to identify a single family that wants their child reunited with them in their country of origin. So again, it was interesting to see Biden kind of placing the blame solely on President Trump when there was really some blame to, to place on, on these parents. And of course, there's human smugglers as well involved in, in this process as to why they can't reunite children with their parents. So uh, it was good to see that again, it was the immigration issue was finally brought up in this debate. You know, we could have seen it in the first couple of debates, but it was obviously missing, but uh, glad that it was finally appearing in this third one. Yeah. And just to kind of build on what you're saying there, I would have loved to have seen Trump bring up more of these facts in response to, to Biden's claim that all these children are missing simply because of his policies. But, you know, his his response wasn't as strong as it could have been. And, you know, just to kind of reinforce your point there, 
not only do you have the issue of parents sending their children to the border and then they themselves either not crossing or leaving back for their country of origin or even just disappearing into the country, you also have a significant issue with people bringing children to the border that have no ties or no provable ties to that child and just using them as a tool to be released into the country because they know they can't be kept, uh, you know, can't be kept indefinitely as a family unit. And I think that just uh, highlights the need to come up with a system with a policy where parents can be kept with their children in detention until they can be removed as a family unit. That's something that, you know, there's been some attempts to implement and it's it's been a very difficult thing to uh you know you know to put together the other thing that really struck me was uh biden keeps on saying without providing any evidence that there are approximately 11 million illegal aliens in the united states but at this point there's not a single major statistical organization that backs that figure yeah in the past we're talking 10 years ago 15 years ago some organizations thought that was approximately the number but now, essentially, all immigration-related organizations either think the number is considerably lower than that or considerably higher. There are some, like you know, the Pew Research Center, that think there's around 10 million illegal aliens in the country, but they lowball this figure and assume that almost no illegal aliens avoid answering census-related studies like the American Community Survey. Others, like FAIR, continue to take this into consideration and believe, we believe more accurately, that there are more than 14 million illegal aliens in the country. And, you know, this might just sound like semantics, but the disparity is really, really important because if Biden indeed does offer a blanket amnesty, these migrants can then take part of the chain migration system, which we're actually going to talk about a little bit today. And statistics from the federal government tell us that the average migrant in turn sponsors three to four additional migrants to eventually come into the United States legally. So it's really important to get that figure right, because you know that difference between 11 million illegal aliens or 14 million illegal aliens, based on the prevailing figures, can mean an additional 10 million chain migrants eventually entering the United States. Well, and especially with Joe Biden promising as part of his platform to provide a pathway to citizenship for all of those people as well, which we discussed on the previous podcast. All right. Well, uh, good stuff. I think we covered the debate pretty well. Uh, obviously, this was only a short back and forth, and we obviously wish that there had been a deeper discussion into this important issue. Uh, there wasn't. But we're going to move on now into our primary topic today, which is merit-based immigration. So, Spencer, I want to go ahead and start with you. I want you to give our listeners uh, at home a brief overview of what this term really means. Um, does the U.S. have a merit-based system now? And if we don't, why is that the case? Thanks, Preston. And no, right now the United States doesn't operate on a merit-based system. In fact, our current immigration system is largely more based on family ties. Right now, about 65% of all migrants to the United States in any given year are immediate relatives of U.S. citizens or those who entered through a family-sponsored preference system. And, you know, just to dive into that just a little bit before I get into what merit-based uh, immigration is, there's no cap for immediate family members coming into the United States. And that means spouses, unmarried children under 21, and parents of citizens that are older than 21. 
In addition to that, the federal government has requires at least 226,000 green cards per year be set aside for those who do qualify for admission under the immediate family members that, that who do qualify for uh, admission under the immediate family members provision. And that has four preferences. The first is unmarried children over 21 of relatives of U.S. citizens. The second is spouses and children of green card holders and or unmarried adult children of green card holders. The third is the married adult children of U.S. citizens. And the fourth is siblings of U.S. citizens who are 21 and older. And oftentimes these categories exceed the you know 226,000 cap. So what we're looking at is only 13% of migrants coming to the United States for humanitarian purposes, only 14% coming due to employment preferences, including merit-based employment preferences, and the remaining coming through other smaller categories or through the diversity lotto system. So what we're seeing is, you know, the vast majority of migrants who come to the United States come because they're related to someone else, not based on any skill they have, not based on needs in the United States. They're just coming in through what is essentially a system of nepotism. Conversely, what we would like to see implemented and what would be very valuable to the United States, especially right now in a time when there's high unemployment and need to adjust our priorities uh, here in the country, would be a merit-based immigration system. And there's not really a hard and fast structural definition of what merit-based immigration is right now, simply because we don't have a merit-based immigration system. But in short, it would include favoring those who have skills that are needed in the United States at any given time over family ties. And this would favor people who have higher levels of education, special skills, complete proficiency in English, etc. And I think another important point here is that it would help ensure that those who come to the United States are fully able to provide for themselves. In 2018, the Center for Immigration Studies actually uh, completed a study that found that 63% of non-citizen households have accessed some kind of welfare uh, you know, during their time in the United States, and that's compared to only 30% for uh, U.S. native U.S. citizens. So that's a huge disparity. And what it does is very detrimental to the future health of our welfare programs because they were primarily designed to take care of U.S. citizens and to take into account that even those who might need to use the program at some point would pay into it at other times, not come to the United States and almost immediately jump on a programmer in a very short period of time. So what you do is you end up having a smaller pool for uh, for other families that may need it in the United States to use welfare. And kind of the final thing I want to touch on this is that merit-based immigration would promote true diversity, something that's important to both sides of the political aisle. You know, you see uh, you see a lot of concern coming from the left over you know threats to get rid of the diversity uh, lotto uh, visa, but you never see them making any kind of comment about the you know the very noticeable lack of diversity coming from chain migration. In fact, due to this, between 35 and 45 percent of all new migrants of any kind to the United States come from three countries: Mexico, China, or India. And this lack of diversity is going to continue to become an, uh, a greater and greater issue over time because these migrants from those three countries are then going to sponsor their family members. And when they, once they get here, they'll sponsor their family members. 
So what you're going to end up having is a massive number of migrants coming from just a few countries while there are many well-qualified people from other countries that can't get their foot in the door because their parents or their siblings or other family members didn't get their foot in the door before them. And in my mind, that's just a really tragic thing that in, in no way is beneficial to the country. Yeah, absolutely. So Matthew, I want to kick this to you now. Um, what have the opponents of merit-based immigration said about attempts to move to a model like that? And, you know, why would we want to keep our current chain migration-based system for illegal immigration? From what Spencer just described, it doesn't really sound like something uh, that's really advancing the needs of the United States. Right. So the open borders opposition groups have obviously come out against any type of merit-based immigration system in our country. Um, the SPLC, for instance, has called it uh, proud, or profoundly anti-American, and I said that the English language requirement is deeply at odds with our nation's values and diversity. Similarly, uh, Amnesty International has said that President Trump's proposed merit-based immigration plan is an outrageous attempt to shut doors to everyone but the most wealthy and privileged individuals, circumventing human rights and legal obligations toward asylum seekers. So I just want to set the record straight here and say that, you know, wanting a merit-based immigration system is not unethical or anti-immigrant or really bad in any way. You know, a lot of modern countries around the world have merit-based immigration systems. And the two I can think of are Australia and Canada. And in these countries, they both use point systems to factor in English language proficiency, employment experience, and education levels. And so in Canada, for instance, they have a federal skilled worker system, which awards a person who has a PhD 25 points, while a person with a master's degree can get 23 points. So if the applicant has a total of more than 67 points, they can qualify to immigrate to Canada as a skilled worker. In Australia, they have something similar, where they require a minimum of 65 points for immigration, and you can get this through, you know, 20, or having 20 points for having uh, superior English skills, another 20 for holding a doctorate degree. And so there's different ways to kind of qualify for these systems. But as a sovereign nation in the U.S., our citizens and government should be able to decide who comes into our country. You know, we've been historically very generous with our immigration policies and continue to be generous. We admit tens of thousands of refugees annually, more than a million legal immigrants annually. And we keep humanitarian programs like asylum and TPS intact. Uh, so just because there are calls for merit-based immigration system doesn't mean that these other programs are, or the immigration levels as a whole are going to be ending anytime soon. And so one of the other big arguments for having a merit-based immigration system that these open border groups do not take into account for is that when you select immigrants who arrive with skills that the nation needs, whether it's with English proficiency, education level, financial status, they also benefit themselves and their immediate families. So if you are someone who can't really speak English that well, doesn't have high education levels or doesn't even have a job, you know, that's going to be a very difficult situation for you when you arrive to this country. And so it's kind of like a win-win for both the country and both for the immigrant and their family is if we adopt a merit-based immigration system. And, you know, I, I, Preston, I'm sure you'll talk about this in your segment, but the only thing that we have really come towards a merit-based immigration system is through the RAISE Act, which was introduced by Senators um, Cotton and Purdue. And this RAISE Act is, it, it's a merit-based immigration system uh, that follows the bipartisan recommendations of uh, the Barbara Jordan Commission under President Clinton in the 90s. And they called for moving the nation to, or for calling 
our immigration model to emphasize skills over bloodlines. And so, um, again, I think that's something that we could kind of look at closely, but this is something that needs to be implemented. You know, in Canada and Australia, going back to those examples, their family-based emissions account for only a quarter of their immigration annually. And as Spencer said, in our country, it's about two-thirds. So there's a big disparity there that needs to be addressed. And I see no reason why we can't be similar to Canada or Australia. Those are countries that are very similar to us. But let me let me ask you, Preston, you know, with legislatively, I know I mentioned the RAISE Act briefly, but, you know, how can we implement this merit-based immigration system? Is it simply just adopting the RAISE Act? I know it's kind of difficult with the gridlocked Congress. Can the president do something? Um, you know, what can we really do to get this uh, going? Yeah, so I'll start with just, you know, small things that the president can do on their own to at least encourage merit-based immigration. Um, some of that has come through what President Trump has done, altering aspects of the H-1B program, which is supposed to be, you know, a, a you know skilled non-immigrant worker visa. But, you know, aside from making minor tweaks to these guest worker programs, there's really nothing that the president on his own can change about the makeup of our immigration without fundamentally changing the system that governs it. And so that's why transitioning to a merit-based immigration system requires a pretty big lift from Congress. It would require overturning the 1965 Immigration Nationality Act, which unfortunately in the past 20 years, you, you really only get that close to fundamentally altering our immigration system if you're talking about some giant amnesty, which FAIR obviously has never supported, will never support for good reason. Um, so there isn't really a ton of hope that we'd be able to do that with standalone legislation just because of uh, the dynamics in Congress. But what that, just, you know, what that would look like, assuming that we did have a willing Congress and a willing president willing to sign this legislation, it would look a lot like the uh, RAISE Act, where you're changing the composition of our overall immigration numbers from mostly chain migrants to instead mostly skilled workers that you know have a job offer, have attended American universities, can speak English proficiently and fluently. These are all things that we should really want from people that want to naturalize and become American citizens. And it makes it easier for them to assimilate as well. It's significantly easier for someone to assimilate who again, speaks the language, has been in the United States for years and attended an American university, has a job in the United States and has for a number of years. It's significantly easier for them to become a part of, you know, the of American society and the American culture than it is for someone who is, you know, the parents of a previous immigrant who can't speak English, who has lived their entire life in another country and is really only coming over to join their child or their you know nephew or any other you know category of people that can come over now because of uh, chain migration. So, you know, I, I do think that right now uh, the best available option is the Raise Act, and really the Raise Act is going to get us to that point. That's that's the closest to what other modern Western countries have with their immigration systems, which is you know. Australia, the UK, Canada, Germany, they all have these points-based systems. And the US is stuck with a system that we put in place in 1965. Mm -hmm. 
And I'd like to add too, you know, a lot of these groups or individuals that are opposed to these types of systems, they'll hone in on one of these point categories. They'll say, well, you know, it's not fair if someone can't speak English, they can't immigrate here, or if they don't have high education, it's not fair that they can't immigrate here. But they technically can. I mean, the merit-based immigration system offers points for several different categories. So you don't have to excel in every single one of them. You know, you could be deficient in one, but, you know, be exceptional in another. And, and you know, those points balance themselves out. So, I mean, it really gives an immigrant an opportunity to flourish in several different categories. And it's not just limited to one unique skill set that you have to bring to the U.S. There's a lot of different ways and you can earn the points in a merit-based immigration system. Yeah, absolutely. And Really, I think it's important to note as well that we're not talking about ending all family-based immigration. We're just looking for a way to realign this in a manner that's consistent with what other uh, modern Western civilizations are doing. You know, we don't want to, nobody wants to separate kids from their parents, especially minor children. The RAISE Act has that built into it as well. We're talking more about some of these, especially the the points-based preference system where you might be able to sponsor a sibling from coming into the coming into the United States or an older parent or you know some of these uh, even more distant family ties. And what I find really interesting, just going back to your point, Matthew, about all these other countries that have this system, is you don't see any of these groups, either in the United States or in other nations, calling Canada's immigration system racist. In fact, if you go look at some of what they do say about this, they say it's forward thinking, it's modern, it helps the country. So why in the world would it be racist for the United States to implement the exact same thing, essentially, or something that's very similar? And the best way to, you know, best answer for that is simply it's not. Who knows why many of these organizations are opposing these things? Some of it is simply due to the fact of the person, the administration that is trying to put them into into place, the Trump administration, in order to combat some of the other immigration measures that Trump has been trying to put into place, you know, combating illegal immigration and some of those issues. They've had to paint this umbrella that everything that the Trump administration does is evil, and unfortunately, some of these very, very beneficial propositions like merit-based immigration are getting lumped in with that. So honestly, what we really need is for immigration-related organizations just to take a step back and be consistent in their messaging, be willing to look at what is of value to you, not only the United States as a whole, but to migrants as a whole. What is going to increase the diversity of immigrants coming to the United States? How can we, we reward those who have worked really hard to try to get into this country by giving them, you know, an opportunity to come to the land of opportunity and be successful here? Yeah. And that's such a huge point and something that I, I will say, you know, I understand from their perspective when you get into raising and lowering the overall numbers, right? Because they they want them high, we want them low. That's easy enough to disagree about. But in this hypothetical scenario, if you're talking about just keeping the numbers the exact same at about a million a year, how can you seriously argue that it's more beneficial to the United States to have two thirds of that every year be based off of blood relation instead of your skills and what you can bring to the U.S. It, I mean, I, I, I have never heard a, a serious argument that I think makes sense from the other side answering that question. I understand 
when they talk when they're concerned about lowering numbers. But if if in this scenario no numbers are being lowered, you're just changing the composition from chain migration to merit-based immigration. I think that's it makes complete sense, uh, and I think the majority of the American people would probably agree with that statement as well. Absolutely, and there have been a number of polls that have been taken on this issue that shows. Do you think you know immigration should be based on what someone can bring to the table versus you know strictly family ties? And they show an overwhelming number of Americans want immigrants to be able to bring something to the country, and that's what a merit-based immigration system would do. Would it ensure that? Yes, uh, Spencer, I completely agree with that sentiment, and I think that is uh, a great stopping point. I think that we've really gone over why a merit-based immigration system makes sense uh, and how it is significantly different from the chain migration-based system that we have today. So to all of our listeners at home, uh, we hope that you enjoyed today's episode and learned something new about this topic. Uh, I want to remind everyone that our episodes are available on most media platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. You can also visit our website, fairus.org, and our Twitter at Fair Immigration to access these episodes. As a personal favor to the three of us, uh, we ask that you share this podcast with your friends and family. We hope that each and every one of you are continuing to stay safe. Uh, and I want to remind everyone that election day is November 3rd, and we encourage you to get out and vote if you've not done so already. Um, voting is so important. And we obviously, as a 501c3, cannot tell you who to vote for. We cannot endorse any kind of platform, anything like that. But it's just important to exercise your civic duty, go out and vote. It's an important election. And until next time, this has been Understanding Immigration presented by FAIR.